Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. John Tesh is my guest today. This is a really good one. I hope you'll stick around. John Tesh has one of the most amazing resumes in entertainment. He has just sort of had jobs all over the map, which makes him perfect for this show because I love talking to people in the business. He started as a news broadcaster, first on the radio and then on TV in Raleigh, moved on to Orlando, then Nashville. He was anchoring the news in New York at WCBS by the time he was 23 years old. From there, he moved on to CBS Sports, covering big events like the Tour de France, and at the same time composing music for big sporting events like that. And then what I know him most for, I think, sort of the John, the version of John Tesh that's in my head is the host of Entertainment Tonight. He did that opposite Mary Hart for 10 years from 1986 to 1996, and that was certainly sort of during my formative years. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of memories of, of seeing him on that show. But what a lot of people also know him for is his music career. And that's like, look, I've already named like six things. <laughs> and I'm, you know, 20 seconds into this. But this guy's had an amazing career. Uh, he kicked off his music career with a giant PBS pledge special, John Tesh Live at Red Rocks in 1995. He's since done a number of PBS Pledge concerts and still tours all over the world, or at least did prior to COVID hitting. And he has a new book that came out this year. It's called Relentless. It covers sort of all of those career arcs and also touches on some of the more recent things in his life. Since 1997, he has hosted a national radio show. It airs in 350 markets. It's called Intelligence for Your Life, where he offers advice on everything from money to relationships to home and pets. And uh, he also, in his book, talks very openly about something that he's been struggling with lately, and that is in 2015, he was diagnosed with a very serious case of prostate cancer. At the time, he was given 18 months to live, and he's here he is at year five. He's gone through two different rounds of treatment, and uh, he has pulled through it. You know, it's a really just incredible story. And again, a lot of this is in his book, Relentless, which it's a book that I really enjoyed. I couldn't put it down. And I was excited to talk to John because, as you'll hear at the beginning, there's a lot of things in our biographies that are very similar, ways that I connected with him right away. But there's also some areas where we don't click. And primarily, that comes down to his faith and sort of the role of, of faith and religion in his life. He's very open about uh, his belief that the Holy Spirit helped cure his cancer. And you've heard me talk probably before on the show that I'm somebody who grew up with a religion. I grew up very Catholic and sort of left that by age 21, 22, and haven't really missed it, haven't really looked back. But I talked about this with Aaron Lazar on a recent show of just sort of there is that piece of me that wonders, is everyone else seeing something that I'm not in faith? Am I missing a key piece here? So John and I have a really kind of open conversation about that, which I appreciated. He's just, he's a legend in this business, right? Like he's, he's done everything. He's covered, I didn't even mention in the intro, because there's so much. He's covered the Olympics. He wrote the NBA theme song on NBC. Like, it's just, it's a phenomenal career. It's so exciting. I, uh, I had a great time talking to him. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview. I hope you'll get something out of it. Here it is, my conversation with John Tesh. Uh, well, I want to start by just sort of asking how this quarantine period has been going for you. You know, the only thing that we're missing, really, I mean, we, we, because we live in Los Angeles, we put all of our studios in our house about uh, 15 years ago because we realized we could get eight hours of commute time <laughs> right. back Yeah, yeah because it's the, the, cause the freeways are so much, such a mess here. But um, the one thing we do that I do, I personally miss is going out on tour. Yeah, I miss playing live. But uh, I am quarantined in a house with my wife. My daughter is now living with us for a while. And they're both great cooks. Yeah. My daughter, my daughter is a fitness instructor. So she will not let me get the quarantine 15. <laughs> and then we've got we have three grandkids who come over twice a week for piano lessons and for uh, Zoom studies. And so. It really is sort of the way people used to live life, right? Back in the uh, 19, 
early 1900s. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to complain about. There is a simplicity to it that I definitely feel as well and, and enjoy. And that's awesome, too. That are, you, do you, are you the one giving piano lessons to your grandkids? I'm not. That okay. would be a very big mistake. Well, I was going to say that you no, can't get a better somebody, teacher, yeah. but maybe not. Uh, that's very, it's very nice of you, but you know, it's 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 that thing where what do they call it when when you when you uh, when you you know somebody too well and yeah. then you don't have respect for them. Yeah. I'll come up with a line. I'm sure <laughs> there's a vocabulary word in there somewhere. No, I know what you mean. It's just like, oh, Grandpa, come on, you can't. You don't know what you're right. talking about. You don't know your way around the keys. Well, I mean, one of the, the our eight year old granddaughter came to a concert. Uh, I don't know about a, about a year ago. Yeah. And she's standing in the back, and there's like 5,000 people who are watching uh, me play piano on stage. And she leans over to my wife, also known as Grandma. She says, Grandma, why are all these people here to see my papa play piano? (laughs) (laughs) And she goes... Uh, I, I don't know. It beats me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So we we fired a teacher. That's awesome. Well, I uh, I'm excited to talk to you. I've been reading your book, Relentless, and uh, it was one of those books that I just like. I was amazed how quickly I read through it, and like how how little I wanted to put it down. It's just kind of chock full of great uh, great lessons and sort of you know you go through your history in the entertainment business and uh, sort of in parallel tracks talk about. Uh, your treatment for cancer. And I sort of want to dive into all those uh, topics today. But one of the first things that sort of stood out to me, just a couple of things, I guess, that we have uh, sort of a shared biography on or, you know, similar things. One is just our birthdays. You're a July 9th guy, right? Yeah. As am I. So there's a... There's I don't know. So us, it's you. But... It's you and me and Tom Hanks and and OJ Simpson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the high and the low there is. Uh, yeah. There you go. But um, also just sort of your background and you know growing up on Long Island. I grew up in, outside of Cleveland. But then your senior year of high school, uh, your your father moved to Winston Salem, North Carolina, and then you and your mother went soon after. And you know, I had a similar experience where my my dad moved senior year of high school to Kansas City, and then the whole family we stayed behind to finish up our school year, and then all moved. Like, I just wonder for you, sort of, what that did to sort of your sense of identity and sense of home. Yeah, I, yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm one of the things I didn't want to do is, you know, there's my dad had a had a hard time after he came back from World War Two. He was he was a self-made man and uh, he was working in New York. It was a high pressure job working for Haynes in the Empire State Building and and taking the the Long Island Railroad was terrible back then. It was was always late and everything. You know, they have a have a bar car on there. And I'm sure. He, based on his job, he was a you know, chief petty officer on an amphibious assault craft uh, in, in the battle off the coast of Okinawa. So, wow. so yeah. So anyway, so I, I remember my dad always with a scotch in his right hand and a, and a Kent cigarette in his left. And, you know, when I was, I was describing things in the, in the, in the book and, and, and the, uh, the publisher said when they wanted to do like a tease, you know, out, out to the, the to the book buyers was like, you know, John, who, you know, who, who survived an abusive childhood. I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. I, I survived a childhood in the 1950s yeah. <laughs> that everybody else had, you know, right. it was like your dad didn't care about your, your, your trophies. Right. Uh, they didn't care about, about uh, anything other than when the, when the street lights come on at, at night, you better be back at home. Right. You know, there were spankings and there was, there were lines drawn in the sand and, and we, we knew where, where all of those were. And so looking back on that now, I realize that's a big part of, uh, of who I am. But um, yeah, when two days after I graduated from high school, my parents moved back to, I mean, my dad was already there, as you mentioned, but my mom moved us to North Carolina. So I didn't have a summer after my senior year. And I was, yeah, I was definitely, here's a guy from Long Island. And here I am in North Carolina living, living in my basement, my family's house in North Carolina. It was a, I spent a lot, it was a lot of alone time. I I spent a lot of time with my record player. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Did you like, I, I just wondered that feeling of like going back and, you know, sort of seeing old friends or even just, you know, having a place to like a lot of my friends, you know, they'd go off to college and come back for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and just sort of pick up where they'd left off. But I always sort of felt like I had missed that just because I didn't have that place to go back to, or, you know what I mean? Like it was just all of a sudden that whole sort of first 18 years was sort of shed and you had to start a new identity. I don't know. That, that was it for me. I, I no, know. no, no. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure there are people who, uh, you know, even, even, 
um, you know, army kids, you know, I mean, right. uh, military kids, they, they have that same experience like every two or three years. No, I absolutely. And I've never talked to anybody about this, but I, I, I absolutely had a, I share that experience with you. But by the same token, what I realized years later, and this is what happens when you journal or when you write a book. I, I, and we can talk about this in a little bit, but it wasn't my idea to write this book. But when I did and, and I decided, ah, I'm not going to use a, a ghostwriter after I tried that, yeah. so I'm, I want to do this myself. And so instead of six months, it took two and a half years. But you're forced to look back on your life, right? Not only that, but you're forced to actually call people that you knew back then and say, if you really want to be truthful about your book and say, what was I like back then? You know, things like <laughs> right. that. And when I looked at that time period where I had left uh, Garden City High on Long Island and, and, I, and, and, and I never went back home again, it was just because it was too expensive. My parents weren't going to buy me an airplane flight. They couldn't. And, and I wasn't going to I didn't have a car to drive back home. So I spent. You know, I went to NC State and I spent my summers in, in North Carolina. But what it did for me was it was really interesting. And I'm sure this happens with the with the Army brats is that I became a different person mm. because when I was in high school, I was Tesh, you know, and, and I was the skinny kid that was in the marching band. And, yeah, yeah, I played in a rock band, but I was the kid in the back playing the Hammond organ. I wasn't up in, in front. And I and I was not popular. I was right in the middle of my class as far as grades and everything. And I was I was basically invisible, yeah. you know, but that invisibility uh, really it, it made me work harder, A. And B, when I got to North Carolina, I I could become I realized that I could just do whatever I wanted and become whoever I wanted to be. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. See, I didn't have that. And I, I kind of wish I did <laughs> that that realization that like, oh, you can just be anybody now, you know? Yeah, I didn't have the realization then. But I think it just happened naturally because I I, it was like, now, now what are you going to do? Right. It's like dropping somebody. It's like that series on the History Channel alone where they just drop you in the middle of, of the uh, of the forest and they go, OK, here you go. You know, and, and that's that's really the way I, uh, I, I felt. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on my 50th high school reunion, which we'll probably have, have as a Zoom call or right. something, you know. Yeah. And and, um, you know, I've I, I actually have resisted. You know, this this happens to this happens to cancer patients, too, unfortunately. And I have some friends who went through a similar battle as I did with cancer came out the other the other side. I mean, even somebody like Lance Armstrong. Right. Yeah. And then the, what, and what happens when they get healed is they break up with, with they, they not only break up with their with their spouse many times, but also they don't want to see their friends anymore. Hmm. And and that was sort of the way I felt naturally when I was in North Carolina and left left high school. I was like, you know, high school was fine. It was great. I had a great education, great music education. But but now I can be somebody else. That's interesting. I, I wonder, too, just like that era, I feel like it was sort of this was what, late 60s, early 70s, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I went to school. I graduated high school in 70, 1970. Okay. Yeah. So like there was still a pretty big regional difference between the country. Like, I feel like now you can sort of go anywhere in the country and there's going to be a Target and a Starbucks and, you know, a lot of sort of the national identity it has become very homogenized. Whereas like back then, the difference between North and South was probably a lot more stark, right? Yeah, it really was. And, you know, it's, I, I know that my family gets, uh, have a 26 year old daughter and a 38 year old son and, and these three grandkids of ours. And, and, and now the eight year old granddaughter, granddaughter, she, she actually wants to hear stories about when I was growing up and, and you should, and the look on her face, the look of horror and, you know, <laughs> because, when, and, and in fact, there is a chapter in the in the book, as you know, about my parents. They grew up in a in a deep South, but I was born in I was the only Yankee in the in the in the whole generation of the family. Yeah. And so, in, in, when school was over, when high school was over every year, we would they would drive to North Carolina to rural rural hall in North Carolina, which is really that rural, and drop me off at, at my grandparents' house, who who ran a farm. I mean, a full full fledged in the middle of nowhere farm. And then they would go off and go fishing or something. And I was there. I would work the farm every every summer. And then you have to walk for two miles to the store to get a Dr. Pepper, you know, wow. and, 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 and so these are all, it, it was very, very, very regional. And that was my first experience with actually with, with racism. And it was a very natural thing for people to, to be comfortable um, with the differences of under, understanding the differences of, of people's color and, and, and even the African-Americans that were working on the farm, whatever they, they understood their place, hmm. you know, at that, at, at that time. And I was just horrified because I had grown up in a very progressive area, you know, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm on this farm 
with, uh, with in the deep South, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> you know, you know, and so there was that difference, but, um, you know, but here's a kid who, a very progressive kid from the North. And, and I got the, I got the crap beat out of me, you know, many times were just, you know, like, like for standing up for people who didn't want to be stood up for, wow. or for, or talking back to my dad about the way he was talking about my, my, my grandpa. And so, yeah, when I tell my, my 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 granddaughter, she Vincenza, she just loves it. She just yeah. loves hearing these stories because they can't play. Wait a second, the television went off at midnight. What? Yeah. And there was only and and they and the you know the the telephone that everybody was connected to in series, everybody right. in, in town, right? Yeah. You could hear everybody line. else's phone, you know, phone conversations. My daughter says, "I, I stop with the old stories. I, I can't take it anymore." Right. Well, but you also mentioned in the book sort of that experience on the farm that it was pretty primitive too. I mean, getting water from a well and, and no electricity. I mean, it wasn't just sort of like a different place, but almost like you had an insight into, you know, life 50, 60 years earlier, right? I mean, like it was, it well, was yeah. time traveling. Well, yeah, I know. And, and it's, it's interesting because there, the newspaper came about every three days, you know, and there was, they didn't have a radio and they certainly didn't have a, uh, have a television. And, and now at 68 years old, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to live this life where yeah. the sun comes up and you go to work and then the sun goes down and you go to sleep, you know, and there's no, unless you have a book or, or the Bible or something, there's right. really nothing to, nothing to read. But I mean, this is why people back then, you know, we have all these books now, you know, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week and Cal Newport, deep work and, you know, all of these self-help books and everything. And they didn't need any of that back then because right. they, they didn't have any distractions at all. They just worked and they and and they spent time thinking yeah well it's interesting too you know I, i've talked to some other guests just sort of about that uh that disconnect i guess or or maybe that self-awareness of just sort of like you know the younger generations now are just so much more self-aware and you know you talk about things like race or you know gender equality or just any of that that sort of you know, we're, we're much more analytical, I think, about those things. And just like, are we being fair to everybody? Are we treating everybody well? Are we treating everyone respectfully? And I feel like, you know, for our grandparents and, you know, older generations beyond that, there wasn't time to reflect on. I mean, you talked about it even just sort of with your dad of like, he was there to to provide a roof over your head and food. But like, there wasn't it. He wasn't there to be, you know, emotional with you or to to really care yeah. about what you're up yeah, to. Like yeah. I just, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that, that progression that, is interesting. That's a really, really good point. And I, and I remember as you're talking about that, I remember vividly where my, my two older sisters, one was 11 years older than me and the other was nine years older. I talk about this in the book a little bit, but it was a, it was a really, really tough time for our family because I mean, think about it. You know, my, my, my dad is, has no experience, you know, uh, even, even being around kids, of yeah. course, back then. But he's here. He has two teenage uh, uh, daughters in the 1960s, yep. right? And he's a bigot and a racist. My, my dad finally got healed of all of that stuff. But he, 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 he's, a, he's a bigot and a racist. And, and one of my, one of my uh, sisters is dating a Jewish guy. And the other one is dating an African-American kid. Wow. You know, and my dad was like, he would chase. I remember you know, they tried to shield me from this. And I remember they, you know, he, he chasing boys out of the house with a baseball bat, Wow! you know, and, and, and I was like this, there's a little bit of this in the book, but you know, I always looked like this electronic wizard, you know, kid. Who didn't, yeah, right. who, and I, and I, I would, I would like hide microphones everywhere recording everything, you know, and I, I these real, real tapes. And when they found out I was doing this, I got so much trouble because that, that's how I learned about my family. Cause basically they, 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 they sequestered me in the, in my bedroom while they spanked my sisters. Right. Wow. And so then all of a sudden we get into this, this time when it's time to heal and to talk about things and there was no one of my sisters ended up in a in a mental hospital you know and with shock therapy and everything you know she tried to kill herself and, and gave up a, a kid for adoption it was just like this is this stuff is all swirling around while i'm trying to make it through high school right and uh, or junior high and uh and so that i remember when we all came together and, and my sisters wanted to sit down and talk to my dad and they wanted, they wanted him to say, I love you. And, and they wanted, they, they wanted hugs from him. <laughs> and I remember it was like, I saw the look on his face. And I think he would have rather a drunk acid, yeah, you know, he just, right. it, was, it just wasn't his thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, I can't, I can't do that. This is not, uh, you know, I'm okay. You're okay. You know, and nobody had, he hasn't, hadn't read the, 
the the Doctor Spock How to Raise Kids book. You right. know, it's just like, can you can I just read the newspaper? You guys just behave yourselves. Yeah, <laughs> it's so bad. It's such a different era, and and it's interesting. Just like that sort of callousness feels like the wrong word, maybe, but just sort of that or aloofness. You know, it, it sort of led into how you ended up getting started in broadcasting. That you know, to make a long story short, effectively. You got kicked out of college, and your dad, in finding that out, said, you're not living here anymore. <laughs> Go figure it out. Yeah, and you yeah, were, like, living yeah. in a tent, right? And then just sort of yeah. found your way into broadcasting from there. Yeah, and, and here's, the, here's the thing, because there's a story. I'm not sure if I connected the dots in the book, but, I, but now as I, as I talk about it and think back on what I wrote, we've lost – I hate these – I hate old guys like me who says, oh, we've lost this. We don't, we don't talk to anybody. But I, I love listening to Navy SEAL. I love reading Navy SEALs, SEAL books, like yeah. especially Jocko Willink, you know, who is a man and, and, and Admiral McRaven, who is a Navy SEAL, who wrote the, who wrote the book Make Your Bed. And, and one of my closest friends is a guy named uh, Dr. Frank Turek, who was a naval commander, you know, and I talk to him every day. He's like my, you know, my mentor. He, he, he debates atheists on, on college campuses, you know, yeah. and, and, and these are men of honor. Right. And so when, when I would when I would do the uh, do do a concert and I and my, the, the concert, my concerts now are sort of like my book comes alive and I, 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 I punctuate it with music. And when I'm um, when I'm talking about it, I, 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 I forget. So I tell the story about being thrown out of college because I, I, I forged a professor's name on an ad, a drop ad card. And then my dad, you brought shame to the house. He, like you said, he threw me out and I was homeless. And then my girlfriend broke up with me. So I was, I was just a man without a country. I, I, I shamed everybody, including yeah. myself. And, and then people were like, oh, my gosh, did you ever reconcile with your dad? And I, and I was thinking about it. And they go, because he was so mean to you. And I thought, you know what? I, I, never, I never thought of that hmm. i never thought i never looking back i never said he just did what i knew he was going to do right you, you know he was like i said he was a man of honor and you, you you didn't you didn't forge a professor's signature on a drop ad card and get a letter from the university saying that you had broken the honor code you know quote unquote and expect your dad to say something like a like a millennial dad would right. say which is oh i'm going to sue the school yeah and how dare they do this to you right. that was never an option you know well so what did like you talk about reconciliation like what did how did that get resolved if it did yeah sure i mean uh five years later I was I was in New York City. I was anchoring the WCBS News, and I'm a junior. I'm John Tesh Jr. And one of my dad's friends from the days he was working there saw me on the air, you know, uh, right after Walter Cronkite, yeah. and called my dad in North Carolina and said, "I think your son is on is on the news here with Cronkite or something." And then in December, my dad called me five years after I had talked to him. And, and of course, he forbade my mom from calling me and uh, he called me and said, hey, mom and I would like to invite you to come home for for Christmas. And I said, OK. And then we never talked about it. Wow. <laughs> Just that five <laughs> years kind of got erased. The the great, yeah, right, that's the way the greatest generation did it. Right. Right. OK. Uh, okay, that's problem solved. Now, now let's move on. Yeah, time to come home. <laughs> wow, that's wild. But you know, it is not. It's not all that bad because I knew that's how he showed his love. Yeah, right. If he hadn't reached so, out, so I, then, yeah. my, my wife is my wife is Italian. Okay, right. so we've been married almost almost thirty years, and you know, COVID can really make a marriage different. You know, right. and so I, I'm just, I'm hard to live with. I've got stuff all over everywhere. I come up with these other these ideas, or you know, I, it's just like, what are you doing? You know, and so it's it's she loves it when I go out and. and concert but when when she'll get really really uh mad at me and and we have these you know she's she's got her italian temper and i've got my sort of my yeah okay i get it i get it but then i i can tell when she feels badly for losing her temper with me because i get the most amazing meal yeah. you know where she never she doesn't she doesn't say ah, i'm sorry you know i'm really sorry i raised my voice at you honey but but then that night I'll get like, wow, this is unbelievable. Pasta yeah. con broccoli, you know? Right. And so there, yeah, I think that's part of that book, you know, the, the love languages, you know, you have to really, you, you gotta, you gotta figure out what people's love language was. And my dad was, I'm not saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> that was his love language. That's wild. Uh, I, I want to talk too about just sort of that rise. We touched on it a little bit there, but you know, you sort of coming out of being homeless, uh, you know, started in radio in Raleigh, then we're on TV in Raleigh. 
and then uh, anchoring in Orlando, anchoring in, in Nashville uh, with Pat Sajak at the early stages of his career, and then you know right. uh, anchoring at WCBS in New York, like age 23 or something, right? I mean, like one of the youngest right. guys ever to do that. And this is all in the span of, what, like 18 months or something. And all that market hopping happened very quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I don't I don't think it would happen now uh, because there's so many people who are studying this and who want to be on the air and all yeah. that. But but it was right. And I mentioned this in the book, too, and uh, is that it, it was at a time when news was changing after the uh, Zabruder tape uh, and, and after Kennedy was shot. And all of a sudden there was there were live reports in the field, which was very new. Yeah. They realized that local state, local, local television stations realized they could act that there was a business in the news. And so a lot of stations didn't have any news. They just turned on their satellite when Cronkite or or John Chancellor or Putney Brinkley, whatever those guys uh, and Reynolds uh, on ABC, whenever whenever they would come on, they would just broadcast that. And also it was like, well, let's put on a 15 minute newscast. And so right in that period of time, when I was I was out of school and I was trying to figure out how to get a job in radio or television, it was right during the Watergate hearings, right? And so all of a sudden people are watching the news for what, six hours a day? Right. And, and that's when eyewitness news, which is still around, and action news and and those newscasts with the the flashy uh, metal and glass sets and and the loud catchy tunes that's when that stuff started and so here I was a guy with a reasonably good voice with the you know the as as Jay Leno says the dinty Moore jaw <laughs> Jay, Jay Leno was making fun of my jaw which I love um, and, and and it was like okay that's the anchorman right yeah. and so I fit that I fit that mold. Um, but of course, I was like, well, I'm not just going to read a teleprompter. I really wanted to be a reporter. So I, what I was always what I was trying to do was sort of prove myself in the field. And, and it really changed for me in Nashville when 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 Sajak was there and Oprah was a was a reporter across the street at the at the competing station. A guy named Mike Kettenring, who actually now became a priest. Mike Kettenring was our news director. He'd won all these awards. And he was the one that really taught me how to be a, a journalist. And, and I think that's why that that all happened so quickly was that hey, I, I didn't have any family i was trying to find i think a trophy to bring home to my dad mm. you know which would be a you know a, a job and um I, I, I have to tell you i could actually see it i mentioned this in the book i, I could see myself on the air in new york city next to jim jensen a guy i had grown up uh, watching as right. a kid because I, I, I had so much time alone in that tent when I was homeless, I could actually see myself doing that. And I think that's I've learned that through the years that whether it's live at Red Rocks or this radio show that we do or even ultimately, you know, uh, asking my wife to marry me, which is another couple of crazy chapters <laughs> in, in all those situations. I could see that. Yeah. And I and, and I would speak that out into my life in faith filled words, you know, and I didn't didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't read a book on it. But in scenarios where I could see my future, I had a better chance at actually manifesting it. What do you think that is like? I feel like if you had said that at the time, I mean, especially like literally living in a tent in a park in Raleigh and, you know, said to your friends, I think I'm going to be anchoring, you know, on the New York News someday. Like people would think you're crazy, but I, I agree with you. I think there is a power in just sort of being obstinate in seeing that path and just saying, no, no, this is who I am. This is where I'm going to get to. And, you know, maybe nobody else has faith in that, but I see that path. Like, what what do you think the power in that is? Where do you think that comes from? Uh, I mean, it's it's what every other book is written about now. It's uh, it's it's setting it's setting goals. But listen, I should be dead. I mean, I was I was given eighteen months to live five years ago. Yeah. When I look back, and this freaks people out sometimes, but when I look back at the things that happened to me when I was out of work and with no future ahead of me, and and getting jobs and things happening on a stage where we went from selling. 50 records a month to 50,000 and selling our record company for almost $10 million. I mean, it was stuff that was happening. I real I look back and I say, the only reason for this is it, you know, it has to be the, the, the Holy spirit, mm. you know, because I was, I spent a lot cause I was alone. I spent a lot of time in prayer. Yeah. 
And I, I wasn't I wasn't really begging God for anything. I mean, I was to get out of that tent, but it was I, w- I was asking for 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 vision and for and for energy. You know, Eric Thomas, who is this this great he's known as the hip hop preacher. I listen to a lot of his stuff with my ears when I'm working out in the morning on, yeah. on YouTube. And he talks about he says, you know, when you figure out what you want to do, he said, don't talk about it. Shut. He actually said the words. He says, shut up, shut up and just just do the work. Yeah. You know, and and. I, when I look back at those times, I just, I, I mean, I would wake up in the morning and I would rehearse doing the news on a, on a radio show or a TV show. I hadn't even had the job for like six or seven hours yeah, because right. I had nothing else, nothing else to do, but it was, it was a tremendous amount of focus. And that's the same type of focus happened for me when, you know, we did the live at Red Rocks public television special in 1993, 94. And that thing, that thing blew up. Was it nobody else other than my wife? Nobody else saw that for, right. for, for me. But I, I, I'd be on a stairmaster for like hours, you know. Uh, and, and I'd be looking. At, there was a rock outside, <laughs> outside the gym, and I look at that rock, and I said, "That's the, that's, that's Red Rocks. That's yeah. the rock. I'm gonna conquer the rock." You know, that sounds insane. I know, but it's just, it, it was just a, a, it was a lot of focus. And then opportunities were really, it was at a great time in, in this world where uh, there were opportunities that were open for me. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess I wonder about that. And, and as, as you say, it's, it's happened several times in your career is sort of, you know, getting into broadcasting and then your music career. And now at the radio show, you know, you've, you've been able to reinvent yourself a number of times and just sort of that, like w- when you go through one of those changes, like as, as you see yourself in that next stage, do you allow denial or self-doubt to come into that or are you like fully on board and fully confident in this you know nope john tesh is not the host of entertainment tonight he is a a world-renowned recording artist now and he is going to sell a million records like you know just what what is your head going through in those moments i guess as you're sort of redefining yourself yeah i think i think a lot of it has to do with i I remember i I met lin-manuel miranda who uh, of course uh, put together hamilton and won the macarthur award and and I met him when In the Heights first came out, and he won a Tony for that. We became, you know, my family and I became acquaintances, right? And so I used to, I, I've seen Hamilton like six or seven times. We saw, uh, my daughter and I saw In the Heights like five times. And yeah, nice. friend, friend, friends with the whole cast and all the rest of that stuff. And so I really, like like most of America, was just like mystified. Like, where did this kid come from? You know right. what? I, I was like, gosh, I wonder if I could do that. You know, and I started digging into it. Like, nope, I can't, do, <laughs> I can't do a Broadway show. You know, but I remember seeing him uh, when I was back home in LA. I remember seeing him on, on television on 60 Minutes, talking about how he had picked the lane because because that's what you know. Charlie Rose actually asked him. He said, you know, why you? You know, there are other people that that were smarter than you at Hunter College and maybe even more talented than you than you, you know, as a as a as a writer and musician. Why why did you end up with the most popular theater piece of all time? You right. know, and he said, I just I picked the lane and I and I and I didn't get out of it. Mm. And I think that when I look back on my life on a much smaller scale, of course, I think that when there have been when I get in a lane, I stay in that lane and I have hyper-focus. Now, I do change lanes, I should see your point, and maybe, and maybe too, mu- too, too many times, you know. But, but I do think there's a sameness to, to what, what you can do in the media. And, and I think now that, now that YouTube and Instagram and, and the MacBook and, and, and Logic Pro and Final Cut, and now they've all caught up to us, you can be in any lane you want instantly. Right. yeah. It's crazy. And just for me, like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of the last of that generation. Like I graduated college in 05 and there was still sort of that gatekeeper feel to it. Like even just to edit and stuff, you had to, you know, schedule time at an edit bay and sit down and, you know, cut footage together. And within a year or two after leaving school that, you know, it had all moved to Final Cut and laptops and, you know, people could uh, people could make these videos and, and upload them to YouTube and things. It was it's pretty wild. Um, I, I want to ask too, just you know, we, we've touched on your faith a little bit uh, here, and and I know just from reading the book, it's it's a really sort of important part of who you are, and a very kind of foundational piece of who you are. Um, you know, I was interested just sort of your path through that. Like, you grew up Methodist, and you said in college there was a professor that sort of said that Christianity was was man's desire to understand things that couldn't be explained through science. And I feel like that's sort of where I am in my journey right now that, you know, I grew up very Catholic and the Catholic Church has sort of its own 
structural issues, I think, that have, have turned me off to the word, unfortunately. <laughs> that's, a, but, that's, that's a nice way to say that. Yeah. I, I'm being gentle. But, but you know, just um, like that, that turned me off from it. And then it sort of led me into that space of thinking of, you know, well, what is religion? But just sort of our our need to explain this world and find answers in things that we can't find answers in. And there's there's that need in every different culture, you know, whether it's Christian or Jewish or Buddhist or whatever. You know, we're all we're all searching for a deeper meaning. And I just feel like I don't know that anybody has found that yet. You know? Yeah. But like I, I just wonder it feels like your faith is so strong and such a part of just who you are. Like Talk to me, I guess, just sort of about your journey through that and sort of finding your faith and, and what it what it means in your life now. I think the I think that uh, whether it's Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or, you know, or now that's a sort of catch all of the you know, evangelicals, um, I, I'm not a big fan of religion. Yeah. And, and, I, and I used to be. Uh, I, you know, I've played in I, I've been the word the music worship leader in one church for 15 years. And I've done that on a couple of albums like that. Uh, things things really changed for me when I got sick, and uh, what because I, I think I was I was religious just like anybody else. Where it was like I, I was, it was just it was a part of my life. It wasn't my life. It was yeah. just a part of my life. And so when I was doing entertainment tonight, and we and we have the you know Victoria's Secret models on there, you know, what, and, and then I'd go to church the next Sunday. The folks in church would say, "How can you be?" Uh, a Christian and, and also, you know, put this stuff on the, uh, on the air with uh, this pornography, as they called it, you know, on the air. Right. And I said, well, that's my, that's my job, you know? And, and I tried, I tried to do, I tried to do that. I, I think, I mean, I, I know that I, I did, I was not honest about, about the power in the word of God until it was all I had left. When the doctors had, and you've read this, when the doctors had run out of ideas and their last idea to get the cancer cancer out of my body after three years of, of, of terrible surgeries and just ripping my body apart in chemo and androgen deprivation therapy and all the rest of that stuff. When, when their last idea was to irradiate my pelvis with 57 different uh, treatments, radiation treatments, and they got through the list of um, these are the functions that you'll probably lose. And they got to the functions where I really wanted to keep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just didn't have it. It was like, what am I going to be? I'm going to be a piece of meat walking around it. You know, that uh, it's just sort of breathing and, and eating snacks and that's it. You right. know? And so I said, all I've got left is the promise in, in, uh, in that powerful chapter, Mark eleven twenty three. whoever says that this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will be done shall have what he says. And what that scripture says is when Jesus went to the cross, he made a promise to you that he was taking, not only taking your sins, but he was also taking your sicknesses. And so I think when I was on, when I'd be on stage and I'd talk about my faith, I could just see people sort of rolling their eyes. But when you beat cancer and the doctors do a great job, but when it comes right down to it, the only thing you have is a, is a belief in God that's so strong that it's supernatural. Yeah. Then you get people's attention. So I can't, I, I'm not the guy that's going to go on stage and debate an atheist. I can't do that. Right? right. But my testimony is this is what happened to me and my wife and I both saw it happen. If somebody calls me up and it happens a lot and says, I've got prostate cancer just like you, how should I pray? And I'm like, wait a second, you better figure out what you have faith for. I had faith for the doctors, Connie and I both did early on. And if we hadn't, I'd be dead. Right. So figure out what you have. And that's that's really what it is, is is figuring out where you are and how you relate to those scriptures. And and I, and I also have a real problem with people. It's even happening you know, with people that I know very, very well. Where they're like, well, you know what, 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 what was in the Bible is not really for today. Like, okay, so what is for today? What you're making up? Um, yeah. And it's so sorry for the long diatribe. No, here, no, but, I. But, this but is it's basically yeah. all I have. All I have is my testimony. Yeah. You know, and so uh, it was a different way of learning, of thinking, and and you know, finding these teachers that actually teach grace and they teach you know what was promised in the in the bible and what you can procure today for 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 yourself and your family yeah see i guess that's sort of where where some of the confusion or doubt comes in for me though is that piece of like i 
I'm willing to submit that there can be supernatural things that happen and that there may be more that, that we don't understand about just how the universe works or, or our place in it. But to to pin it down to like, you know, Jesus said this or, you know, the, the Bible is, is the piece of it. And, and there are just so many other interpretations for the same type of supernatural things from so many different cultures. Like, uh, just that that piece and, and and this part of it is just i think my upbringing in the catholic church that they were very dogmatic about like no no the thing that we're saying is the truth and don't believe any of those other things that you're hearing from the other religions we know that ours is it's it's the one true one that came from jesus christ and and therefore from god like just that that piece i guess of of submitting to this being the the one and only truth do you feel the right, need to do that right. as part of your faith or yeah, just, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And, and Connie, my wife, uh, you know, grew up as a, as, as a Catholic and, you know, and it's, it's just sort of insane that, you know, Catholics and Methodists and Protestants all look, I mean, and, and Presbyterians and Lutherans all look at each other. They, they won't go to each other's churches. It's like, right. <laughs> what have you done with the word of God? Um, you know, when, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he didn't he didn't go through a whole big debate. He just said uh, it, it is written, you know, and, and I, I think that if you really want some some great answers, I mean, this is where my answers came from. My answers came from the King James version of the, of the Bible. And, yeah. and, and they and they and they still do. John Ortberg, who is this great writer, a great preacher, wrote, wrote this book and I became friends with him. And it's, and it's a, he's, he's always got his tongue in his cheek, but he's, he has great messages. <laughs> he's, his book is called when the game, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, you know, you, and you've got, when you're, I don't know if you, if you, I think we all want to get to the end of ourselves yeah. and, and without dying. And when I, when I had my, when I, when I'm on my knees and I'm, I lost 35 pounds and I'm, I'm throwing up in the, in the toilet and I've lost all my hair and my, you know, 22 year old daughter is holding my hair out of my mouth, you know, and, and, I, and I, I was at the end of myself, yeah. you know, and when, and, and when I got healed, I wasn't going to, the doctors ultimately couldn't do it. Right. And I mean, they sent me on a journey, but they ultimately couldn't do it. And when I got healed, I just had to ask myself the question, okay, so am I just going to set this aside and say, well, that was really, really interesting. That could have been uh, uh, something from quantum theory, or it could have been uh, an accident, or maybe God was just paying attention at that moment or whatever. But, But that's not what I felt. And so, you know, people... People die in firing squads for 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 less of a stand than that, you know. Yeah. And and so um, it's funny because I just watched this movie last night. It's the reason I said that Infidel with uh, with um, Jim Caviezel, you know, oh, where he was that. he was, you know, he was the character was killed for his faith. Um, but that, that's just my story, you yeah. know. So I, I think the more you will, what do they call it? They call it, uh, when, when, when you, when you, my, my son Gibb knows this, when you want an answer and you search the internet until you find the answer you want, I can't remember, I can't remember what that, that, that's called, yeah. but, but you can, you can do that. Right. You can do that. You know, for, for me, it's just, it's the, the truth of the word of God. People, I, 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 you know, you'll get to people who just sort of roll their eyes until they're on their knees. You know, there's no, no, there's no, um, atheists in foxholes, as they say. Right. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, just sort of, you know, going through that that whole process with cancer and, you know, especially prostate cancer is, is such a dire diagnosis often. And as, as you say, you had 18 months to live about five years ago. Um, what did that do just not only to your faith, but sort of even just your perception of life and death or sort of, you know, were, were you at a point where you had where you were ready to die and had accepted that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I was. I, I. I really wanted that to happen. Mm. I mean, I was. Uh, yeah. I was done. I, and I. And I told Connie and I told Gib that I was. Uh, that I was pretty much that I was. I was done. And just because you know what happens when you get that sick. And I felt like I was sixty-three at the time, so I felt like oh, I've done some stuff. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, and that's why I hate it when when young kids get uh, you know get sick. But when you see, I've been to many children's hospitals, and when you see how um forward thinking and and just encouraged these young kids are i mean because i i would go to md anderson from los angeles you know once a month 
and and I'd be there with like like three chemo lines out of hanging out of my arm, you know, waiting for you know another treatment. And right. next to me would be, you know, two bald headed uh, little girls, you know, they were eight or ten years old with right. with with twenty lines coming mm-hmm. out of them. You know, and, and so you go through, it's not just you being sick, you're, you're feeling sorry for yourself and then you feel guilty because you felt sorry for yourself. And then I destroyed my family, you know, I mean, with my, my sickness, just put a pause in my family that was horrible, you know, yeah. and, they, and, and I, I hated having people, um, wait on me. So it's, um, when, when COVID came along, you know, and everybody was like, oh my God, their hair is on fire and everything. I said, well, I don't, I'm not really worried about it. I said, I'm, I'm smart. I'm going to, I'm going to wear a mask and, and, uh, you know, take care of myself and, 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 and try and stay away from it. But wh- what are you going to do? You know, I've already been dead once. <laughs> so, yeah. so me, you know, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of that at all. Yeah. But it, by the same token, but I have to tell you, by the same token, sorry to interrupt. No, no. You know, people say, you know, people in this church that, that uh, you know, I go to every now and then, you know, they're all, they're, they're all packed in there and they're not wearing masks. Like God will protect me. And I'm like, wait a second. I, I know that, you know, God healed me and I know God will protect me too. But if I'm in Vietnam and I'm in a, I'm in a foxhole and I know there's an enemy out there that I can't see because you could never see the, you know, the, the Vietnamese soldiers and it's like midnight and I know they're out there. The last thing I'm going to do is stand up in that darn foxhole right. <laughs> you know, because God's going to protect me because, because God also doesn't want you to be an idiot. Right. You know? So anyway. Yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. I, I want to touch briefly just on, on the radio show too, because you guys are, this is like 23 years. Is that right? Of intelligence. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And 350 stations. I wonder just sort of like ha- has the type of programming you've been doing changed since the, since the pandemic are people looking for something different than they were you know six eight months ago oh yeah for sure but but i'm very careful with there's i mean there's nothing that nothing that gets on the air of course without me i mean if this is it's really not a i mean it's a radio show but it's really more like a i don't know what the hell it's 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 more it's more like a news show because there's a lot of scripting that i do and, and and the researchers do that you know there's a lot of a lot of data so it's really not my opinion on a bunch of stuff like many radio radio shows are sure. um but yes we, yeah we really did have to change because i only wanted a certain amount of hey here's how dangerous the virus is and here's where you should wear a mask because i knew the news people are watching more news than ever before right? right and and i knew they were getting that well i wanted to be okay here's what can happen to your i wanted i wanted everything to be prophylactic so here's what can happen to your marriage, to your relationship, if you're not careful during the, the, this pandemic. Here can, here's what can happen to your, I mean, it, as benign as, here's what can happen to your animals. Right. You know, when, when you're home all the time, you didn't used to be home all the time. Here, here's what the quarantine 15 is, and here's the best way to eat, best way to, best way to make bread, you know. And, the, and then there's sort of like conversation starters about, you know, what's selling and what's not. How is life going to change? And, and understand that this is an etch-a-sketch moment, that, that we need to embrace the fact that this is, life's never going to be the same, or at least not for the next couple of years. Yeah. And, and how, how can you live and just really being, I mean, we live in the, in the space of personal development, just, just being, um, very, uh, uh, very encouraging. And you asked, you know, how has the radio show changed over the year? There's, it hasn't changed too much, except that I think I'm more passionate about what I'm saying now. Hmm. You know, I think people can hear that in my, in, in my voice. And also being a husband of nearly 30 years, and being a uh, grandpa of three of, of three kids, having a blended family where my, you know, my, my stepson has been my son since he was nine. Yeah. And then having a biological kid, you know, is, is that any story and then be, and then being sick and not being sick. And then, you know, any one of these stories that comes up, I can have an opinion on. Right. Because I've had some sort of experience, you know, doing it. Yeah. Uh, last question, just sort of thinking about this time we're in and sort of, you know, the experience that, that you've been through, you know, through your whole life, I guess, really, but just sort of thinking about how we how we begin to heal as a country and just sort of what it takes to come back together. You know, I, I just feel like we're all in our own little echo chambers and, and not socializing, not listening to each other. And obviously COVID just adds a whole nother layer to that. But like, you know, what, what sort of hope do you have, I guess, for what this all looks like on the other side? <laughs> I have the worst possible answer for you. I have the worst. You're going to hate this answer. <laughs> Let's hear it. I don't, know, I don't know that it's my answer, but I'm experimenting with it. Okay. I, we were watching this movie last night, and we were just going through everything. And I said, you know, the last time all of this stuff happened – 
God decided that he was just going to flood it all out. <laughs> I didn't expect you to go and there, I, but like, no. And I said, I think I, we have a bunch of lumber here because we were just fixing our deck. I, I, said, <laughs> I said, I said, Connie, I really, I, th- I know this sounds ridiculous, but I think we should build a boat. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know what's going to fix it. I yeah. just don't. I mean, do you? I mean, no. it's, we're so sideways that I just. You know, and this is really, I mean, I have really stayed in my lane. I mean, I'm just trying to, to, to be encouraging to people and not take a side. And, and, and I know that's, that's weak, but, uh, but we're also living in cancel culture. And, right. and, you know, I have 30, 350 different radio stations that right. all of a sudden, if I said some of the things I really believe, you know, I'd save that for, uh, you know, for, for this conversation. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I don't, we're so sideways. I don't know. I don't know what, to, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I just, I'm just being honest. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I mean that like, I, I, the, the thing that concerns me, you know, I'll get political. You don't have to, but just like, let, I, I have not been a fan of the last four years. I'll put it that way. And I'm worried that like, even if, you know, Biden wins this election and, you know, there's, there's a new power structure and there may be a chance to, to address some other things, there's still sort of this, this troll culture that's been cultivated now that, you know, no matter what happens with Trump, I feel like that's just that's going to continue to multiply and just sort of, you know, the, this anti-science bias that, you know, I don't need to wear a mask, you know, that kind of stuff that we've been talking about. And just I feel like a lot of that stuff doesn't go away and it could just continue to multiply at the fringe. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it's become mainstream, too. And like, yeah, that that's yeah. what concerns me is like, I, I think I'm I'm hopeful that there can be a little lane switch here, but even that it's going to take something more. And, you know, maybe yeah, as you yeah. say, I don't know, flooding is the right answer, but you know, burning it all down or whatever, you know, there has to be some I, sort I of reset, that. right. You know, like uh, yeah. we can't, we yeah. can't just, yeah, yeah, keep going. And let me, but, and, and let me say this, I'm going to embarrass you. Let me say this before I forget to say it before we say, say goodbye. Cause I do want to answer what you just said. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed this interview. You know, I do a lot of interviews. I do interviews and then I, and then I give interviews and, and there's just something about the way you're asking questions and having comments that I really love. So please, well, thank you. please keep doing it. Yeah, please keep doing it because it's I feel like I've been through therapy. <laughs> I feel much better. <laughs> I really I really do. Good. But let me say, um, you know, you and I talked about about honor. Right. And I was talking yeah. about how, you know, back in the day being on the farm, you know, it was I mean, people live with honor, you know, and, and uh, the Navy SEALs and all the rest of that stuff. And I when I was at, at, at WCBS at, at 23 years old, the thing they were most concerned about was that I was going to embarrass the network. Mm. And so I had, like, I, I, there were four newspapers that I had to read every day. And they said, do you read the newspaper? I said, yeah. And I said, no, no, no. You have, you have to. And, and then they assigned an editor to me when I was, you know, when I would write, a, I'd come back, whether it was a fire or an investigation or whatever, or City Hall. And, they, and I made some mistakes. I called uh, Nixon Tricky Dick once. Um, but but the, 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 the point, uh, and, and that doesn't seem weird to you now, but back then, right. there For were program, person, program, right. yeah. programs and practices, right? And you could not, you could not call the president Trump or Biden or whatever. It was Mr. Biden, Mr. Trump, Mr. Yep. Ford, Mr. 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 Carter, President Carter. You know, uh, there were you couldn't make allegations. You could not have an opinion. Yep. And when and when television and radio were deregulated back in the day, uh, I think that was either Reagan or Clinton. Maybe it was Reagan. Um, all of a sudden, you didn't have to you didn't have to put a a, 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 um, a super on the on on the air that said this is a commentary. Right. So then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden CNBC and, and, and uh, MSNBC, Fox, all of a sudden they're. They're broadcasting their opinions, right. but a lot of people don't take it as an opinion. They take it as the news. And so that has really stirred stuff up. Um, and, and I think that that's weaponized both sides. Um, and I think – but then and then you're talking about the trolling thing. You know, you can feel like – I mean since – okay, somebody says, okay, I've caught Trump in a lie, so now I can just call him whatever I want to call him. Or, 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 or Biden has, has screwed up a couple of lines, so he's just not fit anymore, and he's got dementia. You couldn't say that about a president right. back, in the, yeah. back in the 1980s, 1970s. You, know, you have to have some respect. And so there's – yeah, I, I, I hate that all of that is happening. But I also – got to tell you, I feel sort of like – this is a real bad analogy, but I feel, I feel like Sophie's Choice because, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at these different platforms. I'm like, okay, forget about the economy for a second. I'm pro-life, right? But what what is if I if I vote if I vote vote the Bible if I vote 
vote pro-life, who am I voting for? Yeah. And am I, am I okay with that? And, and so when I say Sophie's Choice, it's like, what is this decision going to do for me? And, and I'm trapped into making a, a, a decision that I might not want to make. But then what, what have I done? Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's one of the things I, I really would like to encourage people who are, you know, whenever this is going to air is it's hard to do this. But what I'm trying to do is 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 to is to vote, vote the future. Right. But but be, be careful with all of the all of the, the, the bad stuff that people on the uh, whoever they are on Fox or on the or on or on, or on the view, whatever are saying about people, because. That stuff's just terrible. Yeah, you gotta. You have to do a lot more work now to stay on top of things and to really understand that you know it's it's very easy to lean on other people's opinions and just you know listen to hosts and say okay yeah, that seems yeah. good, but it yeah it yes, does take some yeah. work and yeah. as you say everybody's yeah. we're all <laughs> we're all kind of a, on a spectrum of different opinions and nobody fits perfectly into each neat little box, you yeah. know? So. And you know what I, you know what I've had to stop doing is, uh, and I think it's just all the old journalist in me is that I have to stop doom scrolling. Mm, right. <laughs> I even though that would, right. I, I, mean, I get up in the morning, I get up like four o'clock in the morning and, yeah. I, and, and instead of working out right away, I'll just check, you know, the, the Google news app, the Apple news app, the Fox news app, you know, whatever. And it's just, and I'm like, I get caught in this, in right. this, wait, what, what, wait, what that's happening, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just destroying myself. <laughs> It's so a lot. I, I don't recommend if you're not doing it yet. I don't recommend scrolling. <laughs> not at all. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. I, I also really enjoyed this conversation and I enjoyed the book a lot more than I expected. Like I said, I, it was one of those that I was just kind of I kept turning the page and was like, what's going to happen? And it was just, uh, you know, yeah. it was it was a fun read, but uh, an insightful read. And, you know, for me, I, I was a producer and director for 15 years before moving over to podcasting. And it was just it was a very great snapshot of sort of the way the industry oh, yeah. used to be and also sort of where sure. we're headed. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was fun. So, and I, and I think that, you know, I've said this before, uh, but I, I think that, that no matter what, I didn't want to read the Bruce Springsteen uh, memoir. Well, I'm, I'm not a musical fan of his only because yeah. I'm a prog rock guy, but I respect him. And so he says, no, you got to read this. You got to read this. And so I read it and, and it turned out that I, yeah, I didn't really care about, about the, all the, the music stuff, but I learned so much about what was happening in the world when and, and what the, what his chances were of making it or not making it. And you, whenever you read a memoir, you see yourself in it, right? Definitely. Yeah. All right. There we go. John Tesh. Wow. That was great, huh? And, you know, we got, we got deep on some pretty interesting topics and things that are relevant right now. You know, I really appreciated him talking about sort of the challenge for him as a voter right now. And I'm sure a lot of people are going through this where there has been a tradition in this country that if you were pro-life, that is often the most important thing that you bring to the ballot box. And I think a lot of people were willing to pull the lever for Trump in 2016 with the idea that he would support pro-life positions. And now I think people are really waking up to it and saying, okay, maybe abortion may be outlawed, who knows, but what else goes along with that? You know, if, if abortion is your issue, are you okay with kids in cages? Are you okay with, you know, anti-immigration policies and anti-Muslim rhetoric and, you know, all these different things? Are you okay with somebody that doesn't believe in science that thinks and demonstrates through actions that it's okay to not wear a mask, even if you literally have a confirmed case of coronavirus and there are 20 plus people around you that were all infected at the same time. So I, I get it. I get where he's coming from. You know, for me, I'm, I'm pro-choice and I'm obviously pretty far to the left. If you've listened to any other shows, you know that about me. So the decision is much more crystal clear for me right now. But I would hope for the people that are looking at these calculations right now, realize that Joe Biden is a man of faith. He is a Catholic. He's a practicing Catholic. He's somebody like John who has been through a lot of life experience. And I think that brings him empathy. And I think it brings him a sense of decency. And I think it's important to look at that whole picture when you're casting your ballot on race, on climate, immigration, all of that. 
And I hope that Joe Biden will be somebody that will lead everybody. I don't think he's going to be somebody that gets in and says, yeah, forget about you guys that, uh, you know, cross the aisle to vote for me. I hope we're going to get back to a place of some bipartisanship and listening to each other and trying to resolve things in a way that, you know, everyone's going to have to give up a little something. We're all going to have to compromise, but hopefully we all feel like we won in the end. That's my hope anyways. So I was interested to hear John's take on that and just sort of that dilemma that he's facing. And I know a lot of voters are going through that right now. And I just want to say I understand it. We may be on different sides of the political aisle, but, you know, I hope this show uh, just teaches us that we can all listen to each other still. We can all have respectful conversations. And that's, that's why I love doing it. That's why I love continuing to come back. I have new shows every Monday and Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you're one of the first people to get them in your feed. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Give me a follow. Give me some likes over there. And uh, I will talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Go vote.